Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today we present the first in a series of episodes featuring special guest appearances by our mysterious patrons. Our guest today is Jeff. Hello. Jeff is a generous supporter of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, and as a thank you, we invited him to join us for our discussion of an episode of his choosing. So Jeff, what are we listening to today? Action from Escape. From its debut in 1947 to its final broadcast in 1954, Escape produced 230 episodes of thrilling, intelligent escapism. The program's stated mission was to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. No locale was too exotic, no adventure too dangerous, no escape too narrow. In 1947, Radio Life magazine praised the quality of escape scripts, declaring these stories all possess many times the reality that most radio writing conveys. Action starred Barry Kroger, who had a long and successful career in radio, film, and television. Kroger's first job in radio was as an announcer on Suspense. Later, he enjoyed a stint as the title character in The Falcon and made regular appearances on the soap operas Big Sister and Young Dr. Malone. On the silver screen, Kroger was known for playing bad guys, ranging from a corrupt lawyer in the 1948 film noir Cry of the City to a seedy carnival owner in the 1950s crime classic Gun Crazy. Kroger also made frequent guest appearances on television during the 60s and 70s, including roles in Perry Mason, The Rifleman, Get Smart, and The Man from Uncle. Les Crutchfield adapted action from a 1928 short story by English writer Charles Edward Montague. Known primarily as a journalist and critic, Montague also published several novels and two story collections. His writing, both fiction and non, was heavily influenced by his experiences during the First World War. In 1914, at the age of 47, Montague dyed his hair black and lied about his age in order to enlist in the army. By 1915, he had risen through the ranks to become captain of intelligence. Near the end of the war, he served as an armed escort for VIPs visiting the front, including the likes of H.G. Wells and George Bernard Shaw. Later in life, Montague was a vocal critic of the war. His 1922 collection of anti-war essays, Disenchantment, was one of the earliest published works to openly criticize the way in which Britain conducted the war, popularizing the oft-quoted phrase, War has no fury like a non-combatant. And now let's listen to Action from Escape. First broadcast, April 4th, 1948. It's late at night and a chill is set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Tired from a strenuous weekend? Spring fever give you the wanderlust? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape! hanging by your fingertips on the sheer face of an ice cliff, suspended a thousand feet above instant death with your strength running out and with no chance for escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to the cold loneliness of a glacier high in the Swiss Alps, and to a man who learned much about death, as told in C.E. Montague's grim story, Action!
high in the Swiss Alps, well above 12,000 feet. A man clings with desperation to the frozen glass wall of the Chaliot Glacier, hands and feet jammed into shallow steps chopped in iron-hard ice. A cold wind drives a spray of dusty sleet along the overhanging wall, and the sun has fallen away among the crags to the west. Darkness lies one hour ahead. The man has climbed with painful care a thousand feet up the glacier's face from the broken moraine at the foot and has moved now onto the underside of a great bulge in the ice, a part of the wall which breaks out beyond the perpendicular. And the man is forced to hang from slots cut by his axe much as a sloth hangs from a tree branch. Twelve more feet lie between him and the brow of the overhang. Six more steps to be chopped out with the axe. And a thousand feet of void space waits beneath him. The man is unable to lift his heavy axe for even one more stroke. He's tired, and he's 52 years old. No experienced mountaineer would ever attempt the west face of the Chaliot Glacier. And yet this man is an experienced mountaineer. But why? Why? What strange events have conspired to bring him along the path of his life and leave him hanging now in peril on the brink of eternity? Through what shadows has that path led him? And where are those who saw him pass? Can we ourselves move back along it, move back step by step against the river of time? Move backward along the life path of Christopher Bell? My name is Jean Valjour, and I am a guide for all the mountain trails on the Weisshorn and the Chaliorn. I talked with Mr. Bell this morning as he was leaving the village, though, of course, at the time I did not know that was his name. The season is over, you understand. Winter will come in another week or two, and most all the visitors are gone. So, you see, I was very surprised to hear a stranger call out to me in English. Hello there. Uh, bonjour, monsieur. I mean, uh, good morning, sir. Good morning. I'm glad to see there's at least one other early riser in the village besides myself. Only a few people are left in the village, sir. It is the end of summer. The end of summer. Hmm. How well I know it. Oh, by the way, which of these paths takes me to the foot of the Chaliach? Uh, the one on the left. But you will find no climbing there, sir. One arrives very soon at the glacier and can go no farther. Except, of course, to climb up it. The glacier? <laughs> that is impossible. It has never been done. Of course not. It's never been tried. Well, there is not anyone who would be so foolish. Well, it isn't that. There are plenty of foolish people in the world. But even they hold on to their margin of safety. Margin of uh, safety? Yes. The difference between the point where a man thinks he's reached his limit and the point where the limit really is. Que diable racontez-vous? I mean, I'm afraid I do not understand this. Oh, all right. Well, take a mountaineer such as yourself. Hmm. Now, you look at a slope. You estimate the effort needed to climb it. Then you estimate your own endurance. And if there isn't a good size safety factor, you just don't make the climb. But it would be foolish not to do so. Oh, yes, I dare say. It's all tied up in the fear of death. Hmm. Take that out of a man for one instant. There's no telling what he might be able to do or what limit he might reach. And uh, how should a man lose that fear? He can't. He can't lose it. Has to be done for him by... by things outside. He turned and left me then, this, uh, this Mr. Bell. Walked up the path toward the glacier. Uh, that was early this morning, and I did not see him again. His talk with me made no sense, and I could not understand what he meant to do or why he was going to do it. I remember thinking, ah, uh, oh, what a strange man. But I know really nothing more about him. I believe he arrived in the village only last night and took a room in the Zinal Inn. Greta de Gaspar, and I'm staying out the week here in Zenal to close up the inn for the winter. I have known Mr. Bell for the last 30 years. Always before, he came in the summer season for the climbing, and I was most surprised when he arrived last night. I opened one of the rooms and found something for him to eat, 
And then later, we sat and talked in front of the fire in a big empty lounge. This is very good coffee, Madame Gaspar. Oh, thank you, Mr. Bell. Had you let me know, I would have had everything ready for you, just like all the other times. Like all other times, eh? <laughs> but this one's a little different, Madame Gaspar. You might call it a special visit. Ah, it is all so different now from the old days. Then it was you and your madame would come here. And it was Gaspar and I. And the summer seemed to last forever. Mm. I thought everything would be forever when she was alive. Now I'm really alone in the world. As I am. And it is not good to be alone. Mm. It gives one little reason for living and makes one no longer afraid of dying. Yes, but there are stronger reasons for that than just being alone. Mr. Bell, you look so strange. Mm -hmm. Is is there something troubling you? Why, no. Not now. Oh, there may have been, but not now. Well, I should be leaving quite early in the morning for, for a climb, so I think I'll go on to bed. Good night, Madame Gaspar. Mr. Gaspar, I left the inn this morning before I awakened, and I have not seen him again. I've never known him to act so strange before. I have no idea what the reason is, or what he may be planning to do, but I'm sure something is troubling him. Perhaps it may be something connected with his business back in London. My name is Matthew Bruff. I've been chief clerk in Mr. Bell's London office over the past 25 years. I've always found him to be a considerate and dependable employer. I've never noticed anything you might call unusual about him until one day about three weeks ago. Mr. Bell entered the establishment a bit late, as I recall, and passed immediately into his own office without acknowledging my customary greeting. A little while afterward, he sent for me. Well, Matthew, where do we go from here? I can't say that I follow you, Mr. Bell. Well, I mean, the company's on a steady footing, so if we use our heads at all, we don't stand much chance of losing anything. Our position is quite secure. On the other hand, we can't expect to do any more growing. We're through expanding. From now on, it's just a matter of operation. A most enviable condition, sir. <laughs> is it? There's nothing more to look forward to, nothing more to work for. So, as I said, where do we go from here? Matthew, I'm putting you in charge of the business, turning it over to you, effective this week. Mr. Bell, you, you can't possibly mean that. Oh, yes. I've just decided. But uh, what are you going to do? I'm taking a trip. I'm, I'm going to Switzerland. Uh, climb a mountain. Oh? Oh, well, then, at least it's only temporary, just for whatever time you're gone. That's right. Yes, for whatever time I'm gone. Just uh, for whatever time I'm gone. Before the end of the week, he had arranged all the necessary papers and had left London. I haven't heard a word from him since. Oh, I presume he's somewhere in Switzerland. Actually, however, I haven't the faintest idea where Mr. Bell may be right at this moment. Minutes pass on the glacier, and the shadows grow longer from the jagged peaks to the west of the Chaliot Glacier, and reach out with dark fingers toward the man who clings to the icy wall, while his pounding heart beats out the number of his time on Earth. Already those shadows have flowed into the awful depths below his swaying figure, blurring the sharp points of the tumbled rocks a thousand feet down and making the harsh void seem soft and inviting. The man's thoughts have grown as unwieldy as the heavy ice axe gripped in his hand. He keeps trying to remember that he is Christopher Bell, a human being, and not a part of this free and empty space. For he knows if he stops remembering that, he may forget all else too, and then let go. 
there's been no reason for trying to locate Mr. Belt since nothing of any importance has occurred during these three weeks, I'm sure he's quite all right. Only uh, one thing still puzzles me a bit. The remarkable change in him on that morning three weeks ago. I never heard him talk like that before. And whatever the reason for it, I'm quite sure it was something that happened that morning before he came to the office. My name is John Huxford, and I've been a conductor on the Westminster route for some 14 years now. And during all that time, Mr. Bell has been a daily passenger of mine on the early morning inbound run. As I recall it, the first time anything you might say out of the way ever happened between us was one morning about three weeks ago. I saw Mr. Bell waiting at the usual place, so I signaled to the driver to stop. Good morning, Mr. Bell. Good, good morning. I'll I'll be right there. Here now, let me come down and help you, sir. I, I'll make it. If you just take my arm, Mr. Huxford. My, my, my arm, please. But I have taken your arm, Mr. Bell. Oh, oh yes, of course. I'm sorry. Uh, up we go now. Uh, there you are, sir. Thank you. I, I uh, had a bit of a shock this morning. I, I'm all right now. Well, if it's all right now, that's fine, I say. Now, take hold of the strap there now. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, let me see. I have the fare here somewhere. Oh, yes, here you are. Thank you, sir. And and thank you. I, I'm afraid you've brought something home to mind. I don't understand what you mean, sir. Well, Mr. Huxford, have you ever had anyone take your arm and help you up a flight of steps? No, and I might say that I hope the day never comes when I... Uh, uh, well... <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, sir. Not at all. Thank you, Mr. Huxford. Thank you very much. I don't rightly know what was wrong with him, though it's certain that something was. I haven't seen him for nearly oh, three weeks now. I can't imagine what it might have been what happened to him that morning before he got on the bus. My name is Jenkins. I've been Mr. Bell's personal valet for the past 12 years and seven months. The master's travelling somewhere on the continent just at present. Been gone something over two weeks now. Decided rather suddenly, I believe. In fact, I rather think something happened one morning about three weeks ago that caused him to make up his mind, though I really haven't faintest idea what it might have been. I can remember noticing a very strange look on his face when he came down to breakfast that morning, but thought nothing of it at the time. Good uh, morning, Jenkins. Good morning, sir. I trust you had a pleasant night's rest. Uh, uh, yes, 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 I did. Thanks, Jenkins. Uh, you're having the usual orange juice, toast and tea. Uh, no, no, I, I want nothing except some coffee. Very well, sir. I'll bring it right away. I can't let him find out. I can't let anyone find out about it. Maybe it's a little better now. Maybe it's going away. Maybe I'm giving it too much importance, but... No, 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 it's still there. That same lack of feeling clear down the whole right side of my body. There. I can move my arm and leg all right. There's no feeling in them. They're numb. It's simply that at 52 years of age, I've had a light stroke. Your coffee, sir. Oh, uh, thank you, Jenkins. Would you care for something more, sir? No, 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 that's all. If you'll pardon me, sir, you don't seem quite yourself this morning. I do hope you're not ill. No, 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 no. I'm all right, Jenkins. I hope you won't mind my saying this, Mr. Bell, but you don't take very good care of yourself anymore. Oh, please, It's Jenkins. been years now since you had a checkup. Not since the mistress passed away, in fact. I'm quite all right, Jenkins. I'm quite all right. Yes, sir. I'm relieved to hear it, sir. I'll bring your paper now, sir. Good Lord. Is this what a man slaves his life away for, to end up helpless, dependent on others, to be wheeled about, put out in the sun, taken in like some great fat lava? That's oh, disgusting. <laughs> Pardon me, sir. I didn't quite hear you. Oh, uh, nothing, nothing, Jenkins. Here's your paper, sir. Oh, thank you. Please uh, call if you need anything else, sir. I'll be in the pantry. I couldn't go on that way. I'd rather not go on. I've got to face it. This stroke is the first warning. There'll be others, worse ones. And in a short time, I'll be helpless. There must be some way out. Not suicide. But some way. There's got to be some way. The icy wall hardens into cold, vitreous steel as the dusk-born shadows chill its surface. The merciless ice is beginning to freeze the cramped joints of the man's fingers now. 
and the heavy axe swings idly at his belt, tracing a fumbling pattern on the thin air of the void. How much longer can he cling to those slots in the glacier's face? How much longer does he have to live? Thirty seconds? A minute? What's the margin of safety now? And what does a man think of while his pulse beats slower and he waits to die? Strange how I'm able to go on, hanging to this slope, clinging on to life. I can't feel another ounce of strength left in me. Strange, too, how it seems I could stay here forever, becoming part of the glacier itself, looking down at the rocks below and out across the peaks and the ice. I was right. Dying isn't so bad, really. Not when it's like this. Rather pleasant, in fact. It looks so soft down there, the shadows and the snow, and the wind. Perhaps I could let go, float out on the wind like an eagle, be blown along by it like drifting snow. Well, the sun's gone now. It will be full dark in a few minutes. Maybe I can hold on that long. But everything is dark, even the snow and the ice. And who knows, perhaps I'll watch the sunrise tomorrow and set again. And even beyond. Oh, no, no, no. I can't last even one full minute longer. I'm through. I'm finished. I can't even last a half. Huh? Chips of ice sliding over the edge. It's funny how a glacier sheds off that way. I suppose the difference in temperature between day and... Oh, wait. An ice axe. That was an axe. No other sound in the world like it. Fell from up above the overhang there. There must be somebody up there on the slope, coming down from the top. Hello! There is. Wait, that's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Hello! That's a mountaineer's call for help. Someone's dropped his axe and he's in trouble up there. It's right above this bulge. If I can only... No, 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 my throat. My throat's too dry. Well... Six more steps to cut to reach the edge there. All right. Six more steps. I was done in. I was finished. And now... Now... Five more steps. Good Lord, it's a woman, and there's a man upon the slope. Uh, hold, hold on up there. What? I'll be with you in a minute. Ted, somebody's coming. There's someone down here. Over the edge. <clears throat> Take it easy there. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, thank heaven. I don't know where you came from, but thank uh, heaven you're here. Uh, yeah, easy now. Let's get a step out for your feet. Uh, I was I'm just below the overhang there. I heard the fellow up above call out. He's got quite a voice on him. It's, it's my husband. Uh, Please hurry. Easy now. Uh, step out here in a second. You can put your feet on it. You, you get your breath. Then we'll tackle the slope. All right. Here now. I'll scrape this ice away. Easy now. There. Oh, that's better, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, oh. oh you're all right now. Just oh. lean there. When you feel like it, we'll... We'll go on up. Huh? Oh, my name is Christopher uh, Bell, by the way. I'm... I'm Anna Gerlin. How'd you do? Thank you. Uh, I... I thought we were done. <laughs> I was cutting steps down ahead on the slope, and I slipped and dropped my axe. Oh. The rope held me, but neither of us dared to move. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> you're all right now. As soon as you rest up a minute, we'll cut some more steps back up the slope. Oh. Oh, you should have started down this way. You, you've never been able to pass that bulge. Yes, I can see that now. Of course, it, it's harder to tell when you're moving down the slope. Yes, I, I suppose it is. You were coming up the slope, weren't you? Yes, I, I, I came up from the foot. Alone and without a rope. And you deliberately climb onto the underside of an overhanging wall. 
Well, let's just say we're both foolhardy. Is that what you call it? Ah. If you've got your breath back now, suppose we start up the slope. Oh, here. I'd like to take my axe and cut the first step. You'd trust me with it? After I dropped my own? Oh, anybody could make a mistake like that, dropping an axe or climbing up under an overhang. My name is Theodore Gurren, and I'm the husband of the woman who slipped and fell on the wall of the glacier. I'm a physician, formerly of Harley Street, London, though I've practiced in Paris for several years now. I met Mr. Bell when he and my wife reached the ice ledge where I stood waiting above them. I was not immediately aware of his trouble, but found out about it a short time later when we reached the rest hut at the top of the ridge. While my wife heated water for tea at the far side of the room, Bell and I fell into a much more personal conversation than strangers normally do. Well, this sometimes happens when people have been very close to death. At any rate, Dr. Gurlin, well, you can see how it is. Uh, the life of an invalid doesn't seem very appealing to mm, uh, Tell me something, Mr. Bell. Huh? I gather you were pretty well done in when I called out there on the glacier. You couldn't lift a hand. Then how do you account for being able to chop six steps into that ice in a matter of some five minutes? I, I don't know exactly. I was through. I couldn't have lasted 30 seconds more. But when I realized someone was in danger, I don't know, I, I forgot about it. And this numbness, this lack of feeling in your right side, it didn't bother you? No, I didn't notice. It isn't quite so bad now, as a matter of fact. And there's your answer, Mr. Bell. I, I don't believe I follow. Action. When you were in action, working because you had a reason, living because you had to, because somebody was depending on you, then you were all right. Everything was back in its place again. Oh, perhaps, but a man can't spend all his time climbing up a mountain to save someone's life. Oh, I don't mean physical action, movement. Uh, call it incentive, if you like. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Incentive, eh? That's right. It's the one top pressure that keeps life moving and growing. And it's what you need. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting theory, Doctor. Mm, yeah, but it's only a theory, eh? I'll have uh, the tea ready in a moment. Is anybody interested? I am, my dear. Lucky we brought it. If, if no one minds, I, I believe I'll have a turn outside while we're waiting. Of course not. Only be careful out there in the dark. The ridge breaks off pretty sharply here. Oh, yes, I, I'll be careful. Oh, um, Dr. Gurman. Yes? If, if things were turned around, I wonder if it would be any more than just a theory to you. Mr. Bell, where are you? I'm over here, Mrs. Gold. Beautiful, isn't it? With the stars so clear and bright. Yes. Well, there won't be any more clear nights before the winter storms. It would be a shame to give it up, you and I. What do you mean? I've got to say this quickly, because I don't want my husband to know. We're not the kind who commit suicide, you and I. But I think we understand each other. Well, you, you'll have to say more than that. You deliberately climbed into a dead end out on that glacier. Deliberately extended your safety margin beyond all possible limits, didn't you? What do you mean, we understand each other? Because I did the same thing. I went ahead. I picked that route down the slope. But I... No, please wait. In 30 seconds, I would have cut myself loose from that rope. You... Oh, we went to an awful lot of trouble so we wouldn't have to call it suicide, didn't we? You? But, but why? I have a brain condition. There's no point in going into it, but it's incurable. And sooner or later, at any moment, I shall go blind. Oh, no. My husband doesn't know about it, and I don't want him to. Mr. Bell. Yes? I'll make a bargain with you. What sort of bargain? I'm not brave, really. To go on living, I need something to cling to. I need to know all the time that there's someone else with courage, too. Mr. Bell... I'll go on living if you will. I'd say you're amazingly brave. If I were, I could do it alone, without having to make myself dependent on you and your courage. Hmm. Well, that sort of thing could work both ways. 
I wouldn't dare let you down. Nor could I, you. Do you want to make the bargain? Shall we go on living, Mr. Bell? As I said before, I am Dr. Theodore Golan. And I met Mr. Bell some three hours ago on the Chalioch Glacier. At the moment, he's outside the hut a few yards away, talking to my wife. I can hear the sound of their voices, but I can't make out the words. However, I know what they're talking about, what his answer would be. My wife and I discussed that before she went out to join him. You may have heard of my wife, incidentally, though it would likely have been under the stage name she uses in the Paris theater. You see, she's, uh, she's quite a talented actress. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. And tonight brought you Action by C.E. Montague. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. And featuring Joseph Kearns as Christopher Bell and Eric Rolfe as The Voice. With Louis Van Ruten as Dr. Golan, Marta Mitrovich as Greta, Jeff Corey as Bruff, Ray Lawrence as Huxford, Barry Kroger as Jenkins, and Joan Banks as Mrs. Golan. The musical score was conceived and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Next week... You are in mid-ocean, aboard a jinx ship. Already three men have died, and you know that some malignant force is aimed at you. And you cannot escape. Next week, escape with Joseph Conrad's great story, The Brute. Good night, then, until the same time next week when we again offer you Escape. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Action from Escape, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And I'm Jeff. And that voice, Jeff, which you would know because you listened to the opening of this, <laughs> is our guest, Patreon. And this was his suggestion. And let's just throw it to you, Jeff. You had a choice of anything, anything in the in the world of old-time radio, and you chose this. Why? So many reasons. All right. So first off, Escape is my desert island radio show. So if I had to be on, and you know, you understand what that means. Be escape. So many different locales. Had to be Escape. So I, I listen to a lot of, you know, the Escape episodes. And, you know, probably one of my favorites is Bloodbath. And there are a couple other great ones. Oh, yeah. I chose this one. It's a good episode. It's a, it's a really good episode. Um, but there's some very specific reasons I thought it'd be great for, you know, this show for the discussion. One, I thought the sort of reverse narrative structure was quite creative. So something like Memento, where you kind of see what happened right before it, and it, you don't really know what's going on until kind of midway through. I like the double twist at the end. Um, I thought that was quite clever. Uh, yeah, and there are two lines in this, which I just absolutely loved. I think they're hilarious. I'm not going to say what they are because I want to see if anyone else picked up on what those two lines are. And um, I thought it needed to have you know, either a train whistle or it needed to have the sound of wind and, you know, in the snow, right? And it had that, right? You're too good to us. Yeah, well, <laughs> then that's the last reason I chose it. It's an episode where the true hero of the story is an actor. And I thought, well, <laughs> it has to be for this audience. Well, I will say, Jeff, that it's like you and I are separated at birth. And I don't mean just because we look so much alike. I. <laughs> it's the hair. It's the hair, right. <laughs> Uh, uh, visual jokes for the podcast. That's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Escape Very Well might be my Desert Island show as well. I'd have to think about it for a little longer, but I love Escape. Exact reasons that you said. That all being said, you would think that you would just knock this out of the park for me. But I am so torn. I go, oh, I love this. Oh, I hate this. It starts with the promises of an episode of Escape and definitely goes off the rails and does not follow being an episode of Escape. It's not in the same style. And, you know, a guy hanging from a cliff, go, baby, go, I'm in. Yeah, let's do it. And then it becomes something else. And so you have to look at this from the angle of if you go in going, first of all, the tease at the top that it's typical Escape and then it it derails into something else, that becomes a disappointment. But if you approach it from the other angle and say, what if I wasn't expecting that? And what if this was an escape? And then you go, exactly what you said, Jeff. This is really interestingly written. It, the style of it, the story is great. I think that my back and forth is, ah, uh, could it just be a guy dangling from a cliff for half an hour? <laughs> that would have been sweet. Fighting tigers. Should have been fighting tigers and stuff. I did have in my notes, uh, will we lose Eric as soon as he realizes this is a story about the psychological why, not the action-packed how? I called it a little. You did. And I'll tell you something else. This happens rarely in this podcast where something is brought and I go, I actually am very familiar with this. And I'm very familiar with this. This is my third time listening to it. And the reason is, is because the first time I listened to it, I went, oh, I'm bringing this to the podcast. And about six minutes in, I went, no, I'm not. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> nope. nope. This is. And then the second time I listened to it was by accident. And it got me again because it was a couple years later. And I, went, and I went, oh, I remember this one. Right. This goes down that road. This third time, though, knowing full well what I was in for, I went, just listen to the story instead of your expectations. But uh, I really wish that it was a guy fighting tigers hanging from a cliff. <laughs> I will say if this had been a half hour of guy hanging off a cliff, I would have crawled backwards out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> that opening description, is, I mean, I have a sort of general fear of heights in general, but hanging off a cliff, it's so vividly described and it's so horrifying to me that uh, I totally see the uh, anything after this at this point, because that is just, oh, God, oh, God, he's not going to make it. Uh, I had some of that same back and forth. They're like, escape, yay. Oh, it's not William Conrad. Oh. <laughs> then this opening monologue, which is just amazing, and then it goes into these sort of testimonial structures, uh, which I thought is such a long distance from the really visceral first-person thing. But then those testimonials sneakily gave way to his interior monologue, which gave way to um, back into first-person action sequences, and it totally won me over. I have lots of nice things to say about this. Um, but yes, it gave things away slowly, and at first it seemed like, oh, this is just kind of the the story of some old guy going out for one last hurrah, uh, and then it got more specific of like, oh, it's this old widow going out for one last hurrah, and then like, oh, it's this stroke victim who doesn't want to be an invalid for his whole life, who's facing mortality. They could have just stopped that he's 52, and I went, went yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's where I took it kind of personally, of like, 52, ah. Uh, yeah. Time to climb the glacier. Summer's over, Tim. Summer's over. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, with inflation, 52, when this is written, is actually 108. <laughs> oh, thank heavens. <laughs> I'm 11 in 1948. I oh. really enjoyed opening on a cliffhanger. Just that little bit of irony that a story begins literally, with a, yes. both that it's at the beginning and that it's literally a cliffhanger. And so I think in some ways it is manipulating our expectations of what an escape story should be. And I was particularly intrigued once we entered the shifting narrator's they kept almost settling on the reason of why he climbed this mountain. It felt like a mystery we were trying to solve. And you're like, oh, he lost someone. But then that little bit of background ends with, but that's not why he's here. And then we find out his business has plateaued and it's not as exciting anymore. But that's not why he's here either. And so by the time we get to that moment where we realize what it really is, and of course, as Tim said, all those things add to it. But what was the actual trigger 
is this uh, stroke he at least believes he had. I think there's almost some questions toward the end, the way the doctor treats him as if it might not be as bad as he thinks or how much is in his head. But I found that structure really interesting. And then when we finally jump into his head in that moment, I felt it was really jarring at first because I had that moment where I was like, well, why, if we could have just gone into his head, why did we need the testimonials? And the voice at the top is actually interesting because it's an omniscient outside the story narrator. Then we have the various first person narrators who aren't the protagonist. But then by the end, I was on board with what effect that gave us is that we, we were adding yet another narrator to it. We had to work our way into his thoughts. And I think it's more rewarding for that. And the fact that we end on an outside first person narrator with the doctor, too, we kind of bring the whole thing full circle in a really nice structural way. The way that his character gets unveiled, particularly with the, the innkeeper, it was like a moment by moment trying to figure out who this guy is. When she first started talking about, oh, he came back to my inn and uh, got something for you, I thought, oh, lady friend, oh. And then discover, like, uh, they're both widowed and their spouse were friends. Like, oh, not that kind of lady friend. Um, as much as in that moment, I was thinking, oh, this story seems a little familiar and not a terribly interesting new take on what I thought I knew about the story. Nonetheless, I really want to know who this guy was. Like every second, like, ah, he's this. No, he's this. No, he's this. Each person kind of had their own hypothesis of what was driving him. And it was not the reason, like peeling back an onion. And it was really interesting in the end the woman on the mountain saw me not specifically, but got his deal on site. That's interesting. That's because actors are really, really in tune, Tim. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am desperate to know what the funny lines are, Jeff. I'm going to take one guess. Yeah, let me hear him. Like some great fat larva. That's one of them. Yep. It stood out. <laughs> the other line, did anyone pick up on what it might be? No, it's, you know, in radio, you have all the theatrics and exaggeration and hyperbole. And and there was the one person that says, no one could be this foolish. And he says, uh, yeah, there's plenty of foolish people in the world. It's not that. And it was just this sort of dry <laughs> sarcasm. Right. Yep. And, you know, just when you think of sort of the way that radio is and people kind of exaggerate and you know go into those sort of hysterics, it's kind of you know, funny to see it twisted in, in a way that's kind of unconventional for the sort of right. era, I suppose. Right. Calm down isn't said a lot in old-time radio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think overall, everything we're saying, I think we're in a lot of agreement here. Where I'm going to go south is this. I think it's, it's a great episode of Escape in the sense of it's produced really well. It's acted, as always, really well. The production value is great. And yet, I was bored out of my mind. It's no bloodbath. Yeah, it's no bloodbath. (laughs) And I keep trying to decide is it because I wanted an episode of Escape that was like something so bad? If you had called it, you know, Masterpiece Theater, would I have entered this differently? I think that's unfair to a certain degree because they take us away from him hanging on that ice, but it comes right back and yep. he is there down to where he's counting down yep. the minutes he can still hold on to that. I love the passage where he starts to slip away not just physically, but mentally, where he imagines himself just hanging there forever till the sun goes down and maybe the next day. And he kind of almost as if he's becoming part of this environment and the mountain. And it's a really nice passage that really captures his mental state in that moment. But then we have the traditional escape action. Ice starts falling down on him. Someone drops an axe from somewhere and he has to climb up and count how many steps there are to save this person. And so I think it nicely comes back around. I agree with you 100%. In NRX defense, it's not you know, nonstop action all the way through. Right. Um, and, and I think there's that sort of expectation that you would get that with an escape episode. So, I mean, maybe what we should do is we could kind of redo this. We could kind of edit the beginning with Quiet Please. So it has a Quiet Please intro. We can rewrite it so it's Quiet Please. Like, wow, that Quiet Please is pretty peppy. <laughs> and Eric could listen to it and see if he likes it then a bit more. <laughs> I didn't really appreciate for as many passages as were somebody narrating things or, or very sort of abstracting the action. The music was really first rate at keeping the mood. Again, I agree with you. 
And I think the second twist at the end, I'm really glad for the second twist. The first twist was like, oh man, it's a non-suicide pact. Um, and, and that was, and I was like, okay. I was like, is this what mountain climbing is like? You just get to the top. And- it was a hallmark ending. And then the double twist, and I was glad for it. I just wish you would have like, I'm your mother or shot him or I'm actually a tiger. <laughs> What if they were Yetis, right? What, what, if, what if that was? Well, thing? you know, you know that episode of Escape, right? Yeah. Joshua brought that to the podcast just for my birthday. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, th- I think one thing that makes you know old time radio great is, I mean, if if it's one word, I think it's immersion, right? And I think yeah. if it you know puts you into the sort of exotic locale and you have everything kind of working together, that the foley, the acting, the music, I think it works, and I think. We had that, um, especially on the, on the mountain. You know, maybe we could have done with maybe one fewer kind of narrative sequence in the backstory, but um, you know, no distractions. I think distractions are kind of like the antithesis to you know the immersion. I mean, it's so you have like the loud crickets or you know the sort of <laughs> overzealous person making cat noises that just kind of you know or someone with a really weird voice like that just completely takes you out of the immersion. So um, I thought this kind of did well in in that way so how about how about this is an argument and joshua said you know we come back to him on the cliff perhaps it would have set better with me had it been in flashback mode with him but kept coming back to him hanging on that cliff more you know what i'm saying like keep yeah. coming back to him going okay i'm gonna be really stupid here but okay i thought about that part of my life and here i am still hanging here and we hear the the wind and he's hanging on and what if it's him thinking through things maybe might have narratively help me nope uh, the narrators and our exclusion from his thoughts for the first half i think is where most of the suspense comes from that's where i think the structure is really brilliant uh, but it doesn't overstay its welcome because it, it by the halfway mark it gets us the answers we want and then the ideas it then plays with are pretty deep i think there's some questions i have of whether the answers presented are really any long-term solution for the guy. Um, Oh, yeah. I really think it's quite interesting how he describes that margin of safety uh, when he's talking to the tour guide at the beginning, the difference between our perceived limit. Yeah, what you think you can do and what you actually can do. And when he sees the other climber in danger, that expands suddenly. What you think you can do and what you can actually do, he doesn't guarantee what order that's in. Yeah, well, he thinks he's reached beyond his perceived limit to his actual limit as he's hanging there. And then when someone needs help, as the doctor tells him later, when he gets this call to action, he finds out that hanging there was a perceived limit on his part. And he was able to keep climbing, which connects into the end when he's given a a perceived reason to live by the actress. Uh, It suggests that he'll be able to continue despite his debilitating strokes in the future (laughs) parenthetically what a time when you could just call a story action and like whoa you know that one story the one story action (laughs) that's probably why eric kept coming back to it and listening to it again (laughs) exactly right action i'm gonna listen to this oh right 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 these guys and parenthetically uh i always find it interesting when an actor has to play an actor that's a really well-known and great actor. Like, <laughs> the stress of that must be <laughs> intense. That was a pretty slick move, though, of giving no tell that I'm an actor at all and just later on saying, that was an actor. I couldn't tell. They're great. <laughs> Here's where it's unrealistic, though. No actor fails to mention they're an actor. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first 30 seconds of uh even if they're hanging off a mountain that's it'd be like by the way by the way would would you like to see my resume and i wrote the screenplay uh also no actor makes enough money to enjoy a vacation of that nature although uh, she was she was married to a doctor that's right all right there you go i was gonna say in kind of preparing for this and i listened to the suspense episode and if you want to kind of take this story and listen to a really boring slow annoying version of it listen to the suspense <laughs> one it basically starts off with yeah i had a stroke and then it basically goes through him wow. chronologically meeting people and then just being kind of miserable and complaining to everybody and it's just like, okay just kind of you know move on and, and so forth and then 
there's no twist at the end. It's basically the doctor saying, yeah, you know, you did all right. So just like keep trying. And that's kind of the end. <laughs> and I'm just like, so, and then this same story done completely. Yeah, know. that's terrible. It, it really is. One thing about the second twist that I was really happy for as well is that it was nice to realize that the act, well, we didn't know she was an actress yet. Uh, the doctor's wife. I don't think she's ever given a name because within the narrative, she's a famous actor. So that's why we don't hear her name, apparently. Which is going to be a problem with their lie later if she's actually famous in, in film or oh, anything. Oh, blind lady. Oh, she can act like she can see. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. But the reason it was a little bit of a relief to me that they were making that up is because it had a harshness there to say like, well, I'm going blind, so my life is not worth <laughs> living. Um, so it was nice to have that moment where we realized like she's entering his uh, negative psychological realm. And that was not an authorial statement that uh, it, life is not worth living if you have a disability, which seems a little harsh. While at the same time, I recognize an individual's right to decide what does and doesn't make their life uh, worth living. It was interesting when I listened to this, I ended up reading a story uh, online in our local paper about a woman that woke up one morning and had no hearing. And she went through four years of what's the point of living? You know, like, how do you rebound from that? How do you move on? She lost all of her career and everything. Now, the end of it is that she ended up making egg rolls because she was good at them and trying to find something to do. And now she's made a lot of money again because she's become the egg roll queen of the Twin Cities and she makes these phenomenal <laughs> egg rolls. But anyway, I thought it was really interesting that I read that right after listening to this because it's that same tract of, you have been given this bad news. Do you give up or do you continue on? And the journey of that is extremely difficult. And it sounds like she found a uh, sort of similar passion that kind of gives her drive. Exactly. I think, I think it's kind of the message of the, the story in a way. Yeah, I think that is that ironic double meaning of action at the top. Action, like cliffhanger excitement and that action, as the doctor says, in an in incentive to act. And not be a human larva. Right, because we yes, and not be a fat larva. Yeah, because <laughs> they're not too active. Do Do we feel that it's ethical to lie to him in that way? I I do actually. I'm I'm kind of fascinated by just going to go up to a random stranger and lie to them about something really important, and they'll probably never find out. <laughs> but it's for a good reason. I don't have any problem with it. And I think she was really wanted to cover for dropping the hammer. Drop dropped it. <laughs> <She was> just, <laughs> just, I can't stand it. This guy knows I dropped it. Well, she was aiming for him, and now she's like, Darn. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been the twist. She was hired to kill him. <laughs> By all the people that were narrating, they'd hired her. I think the only way that lie is a little blurry is it's, it's not so much unethical as unsustainable to expect that lie to last for this guy. Um, but I think there's a perspective in which you go, if this lie can get him off this glacier and at least home, that's a huge step forward. Yeah. Before that, I thought like, oh, they're going to be pen pals. I'm like, no, I don't think that was the idea. Yeah. I think they're just like, we're going to have this nice conversation and go our separate ways. Nope. And... <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for what I'm about to say right now. But, um... <laughs> Beep. oh, nothing like that. So she was a stage actor, though. So do stage actors, <laughs> do stage actors have as much visibility like versus cinema actors? We're very famous for our podcasts. <laughs> we have 40, 50 people a show. Jeff, maybe <laughs> that maybe like she's a stage actor in like another city. You know, I haven't. You know, I'm over in the Philadelphia area. If I was in, you know, Minnesota, yes, I go obviously. And there's no internet. You're right. I forgot she's a stage actor. My point about an unsustainable lie is just that I don't think you can live on just someone's words on the top of a mountain for too long, even if he never discovers that she isn't who she is. Unless you're in the suspense episode, then it's good enough. Yes. <laughs> it's not really a critique of the story. Yeah. It's just, I, I like that it opens up these questions and gives you something should you choose to think more about it. It's a little more than just a surprise 
twist in the moment, it lingered, at least with me. That was part of the reason that I, I bought it here. You know, I didn't think it was the best escape. I didn't think it was the most action-packed. Um, there's others for that. I thought it would be something, you know, worth kind of the conversation. And, you know, I thought it kind of provoked some interesting thought. And some... There's no doubt about it. It's a great episode to bring to this podcast. I think that is a hands-down slam dunk I listened to this twice and was too dumb to see that. And it took you to realize, Jeff, that I should have brought this to the podcast years ago. <laughs> hey, Jeff, if you had not picked this one, what was your second choice? It's the 13th truck. Has anyone heard it? I have not. I have not. It's on my list to appease Eric. Like if <laughs> he's been whining like, for episode after episode about how like, wah, 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 I would bring this one. It's like something straight out of Adventure Magazine. Trust me, mm -hmm. Eric. I mean, it, it, it'll be classic. And if it's not classic, email me mean things. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I hope it's just the sound of 12 <laughs> trucks going by and then a long pause. <laughs> then another truck. A 25 minute pause and then the well, 13th truck. It just builds truck. up. When's the 13th truck going to be there? I don't know. Yeah. Honk the horn! Honk the horn! <laughs> I agree with you, Jeff, though. I've heard it, and uh, I think you're 100% right. Uh, but this was also a fascinating discussion to have. Uh, we should probably do the final vote before we share all of our final thoughts. Just to get it out of the way, it's pretty obvious. I think this is an incredibly well-done show. I didn't find it as interesting as I wanted it to be, but I also s completely understand that my own biasness is getting in the way of that. Therefore, uh, absolutely stands the test of time. I think this is a great piece of storytelling. And uh, it's not my favorite episode of Escape, but it's a good radio drama. Um, so that's my vote. I really, really enjoyed this. I think it's a fascinating production for all the reasons I said. I, I particularly am struck by the narrative inventiveness I love the reverse chronology it uses. I love the number of narrators uh, from first person to third person. I really enjoyed the deep ideas it had in it layered within a, you know, something as just over the top as guy hangs off cliff. You're still dealing with big questions about like what motivates a person to live, what makes a life good, what and who in our life sets our limits for us how good a liar is an actor <laughs> those deep deep questions to think about so i totally enjoyed it i mean i think it's trying to do so many things that if you are only interested in one or two of those so many things the other things it's trying to do could be a distraction it wasn't for me i was engaged throughout uh you know part philosophy part action part mystery I think it definitely stands the test of time. It asks a lot of universal questions. And I personally, for me, think it's a, a real escape classic because of how it subverts and fulfills expectations simultaneously. So here's my thing. Jeff, I really, really, really want to thank you for bringing this episode. And I wanted to keep this separate from the rest of the discussion. But my mom, her whole life has been fighting off mobility issues like Decade after decade, surgery, 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 and over and over again, like, nope, I'm going to be active, I'm going to be moving around, going to travel and all that. And just recently, she's finally been hitting the day of like, no, um, there's your life before this, and you could do all these things you used to do, and now you are hitting the time that you can't do that. And a long list of things that she can't do anymore. So listening to this episode, and when it got really specific about this guy suffering these things, and what it meant to him. This episode not just stood the test of time for me. It was like very, very vivid and very, very right now. For me, this was powerful and moving. And even all the faults we said about it are true. But So it's not a classic episode of the Escape, but it was a great episode for me to hear right now. Uh, and it, it's, I think, a great story told well. So thank you so much. Right, Stands the test of time and more. Thank you um, for, you know, all the content that you, you go ahead and create for us. Um, from my standpoint, I enjoyed it. I thought that the narrative structure was quite interesting. I think it's great that people were able to kind of glean different aspects out of it and, and see, you know, sort of the, the meaning behind and the purpose that kind of goes above and beyond. Like, so he was successful. His uh, his company was was doing well. It was, you know, nothing else to sort of drive him forward. And I think he kind of, he found that. And I think, 
you know, I think in some ways it you know, drives home to like, you know, I don't want to say the meaning of life, but just kind of sort of what we're here for and what kind of keeps people going and, and, you know, whether it might be creating something like your podcast, that's something that, that you go ahead and create, or if it's going ahead and um, painting or any sort of passion that people have that keeps them going. It doesn't always need to be kind of linked to any sort of specific, well, you know, being able to see or, or climb mountains or whatever it might be. Um, I think that just kind of remembering that people are, um, you know, there, there's so many different things or what they, they like to do, what they create and what they sort of bring to the world. I think it you know, stands the test of time in, in that way. So. I guess I want to underscore again that I think for all the reasons everyone just said it's not a classic, it has to be a classic. We, we're just like this outpour of like all this deep, <laughs> meaningful stuff. And then people are like, eh, but not a classic. I think it's a classic. Because it's bookended by escape, the escape intro and the escape close. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a classic. <laughs> Excellent. That's all I wanted to hear Eric say. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like stands the test of time should be rated higher than class. I don't know. It seems like as a rating, it's... those are somewhat arbitrary, and we trip over them all the time. Okay. <laughs> yes, we created those categories when we thought we'd do five episodes and then get bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we meant like historically significant is sort of a consolation prize, okay. and other times it's like this is very seriously historically significant. It's an important piece of culture. And every now and then you come up with a new rating. Well, there was one for like four episodes ago. Fish with teeth. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> fish with teeth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is a fish who wakes up one morning and discovers he's lost all his teeth and doesn't know how to go on anymore. <laughs> Trapped in the side of a mountain. <laughs> Flopping around. <laughs> it's also a warm blanket of nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. It's a little gross too, but <laughs> warm larva of nostalgia. <laughs> All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find a bunch of other episodes there. You can vote in polls to let us know what you think. Tell us what you think about this episode. Classic other. There's more categories than just classic another. <laughs> um, you can send us messages. You can. You can uh, make up a category. Uh, sure. <laughs> You can uh, link to our social media pages. You can uh, find our link to our, our Threadless store and get some swag. You can also link to our Patreon page. Yes, you can go to patreon.com slash the morals and become a patron like Jeff. And Jeff, do you have any uh, endorsement yeah. you would like to give to patron? Uh, well, I guess I'd just like to you know thank all of you for sort of the content that you, you put out. You know, I mean... I stumbled across your, your podcast, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, it was the Fat Sinatra episode, that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just realized that, you know, like the thing is old time radio, it's, it's not quite as popular as it used to be. I you know, might have noticed that. But, you know, I, I heard you, you invest your time, you invest your talent. And there's a lot of time that goes into this. So, you know, I saw that you're creating something It's entertaining to listen to, you know, around the sort of mutual and rather nice interest you know i just joined patreon as a as a gesture of thanks and support and you know i just want to let you know that there's other people out there that value what you're doing and you know hope that you continue doing so so you know, i'm sure you probably get your listener metrics in the podcast and you know that's probably rewarding enough but you know by being a patron i just you know hopefully um i'm letting you know that your your podcast not only consumed um but you know appreciated like a fine glass of roma wine <laughs> that's or a, iron ice yeast. That's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> a fine glass of ironized yeast. <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Jeff, so much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. If you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society does live audio drama on stage once a month. We are somewhere, and you can find out where we're performing this month. By going to ghoulishdelights.com, we perform a lot of our own original work and some recreations of old-time classic radio shows. Come see the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society performing live by going to ghoulishdelights.com. And if you can't make it to where we're performing at this month, and uh, you can just become a patron like Jeff because we film them and then that's part of your package. You get to watch them wherever you are in the world. So there, do that. If you're like, oh, I want to see you. Well, then give us some money and then you can see us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's coming up next? Uh, next, we will be joined by another patron. Mark will be here and he is bringing us an episode of The Shadow entitled... 
the Shadow Challenged. Until then... Look out! Quiet, please. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called... Action. High in the Swiss Alps, well above 12,000 feet, a man clings with desperation to the frozen glass wall of the Chaliot Glacier. Hands and feet jammed into shallow steps, chopped in iron-hard ice. Oh, wow, that quiet place is pretty peppy. <laughs>